Good morning. By the time Paul had left Galatia when he visited there, uh, living by grace had opened people's hearts. Resentment and remorse had decreased faith and love had increased. Then missionaries from Jerusalem arrived, and in the wake of their influence, the lights went out spiritually. The new Christians were buried buried under a pile of dogma. The faith and love that had bloomed quickly wilted. Paul attempts repairs by explaining what they had lost sight of in all the doctrine and in all the words and the disputes and the discussions, they had lost sight of one thing or never had gained sight of it and needed to. The difference between law and promise. That's what we'll look at this morning. Look at what he says. Look what he writes. Paul writes, Galatians chapter 3, beginning verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offspring, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For, if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Uh, Paul begins, he talks about um, covenants. And he says, no one annuls or adds to a covenant once it's been ratified. And then he talks about the promises God made to Abraham. Promises were part of a covenant God made with Abraham. A covenant is a treaty or agreement. It formalizes and clarifies 
relational roles and responsibilities that exist between parties. They forge an agreement and a covenant clarifies the roles and responsibilities incumbent upon each of those parties. In ancient Israel, there were several kinds of covenants. There was a suzerain vassal covenant. A suzerain is a dominant king. It's a name given to a more powerful king. And a vassal is the name given to a less powerful king. And in a suzerain vassal covenant, what would happen is an embattled, anxious, insecure king and kingdom would look to the suzerain for protection. And they would try to broker this kind of an agreement. And this covenant would formalize what the suzerain promised to do. And oftentimes it was, if the vassal is attacked by any nation, the suzerain will bring his forces and will rescue the vassal kingdom. In return for that, that's the commitments. There were commandments that the suzerain imposed upon the kingdom of the vassal, oftentimes needing to give treaties so much per year, gold or these goods or anything. And so there were the commitments of the suzerain, the commandments incumbent upon the vassal and the consequences. If the vassal did not comply with the commandments that were placed upon, if they didn't give the the tribute, if they called another king, there were consequences, curses and blessings. So that's a suzerain vassal covenant. A divine grant is a very different instrument. It would be when a powerful king would look around for people to bless. And out of that sense of unilateral benevolence would form a covenant with a vassal saying, you know what, I'm seeing where you are, and um, this is what I'm going to do for you. And so there were commitments, no commandments. It wasn't a brokered agreement, no consequences. It was a divine grant, a unilateral. So there were these two kinds of covenants in ancient Israel. So now I'm going to read from Genesis 15, and this is what I want you to try to figure out, is what I'm describing a suzerain vassal covenant or a divine grant. Okay, here it goes. It's in your worship folder if you want to follow along. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What do you think? Is this a suzerain vassal? Divine grant. Do you see any commandments here? Anything, any ifs? Things that Abraham has to do? If you do this, then I'll do this. Does anybody see any ifs? No ifs here. This is... A divine grant. God comes to Abraham and he makes this unilateral agreement with him. Uh, what's Abraham's part? And what we find, Abram, who became Abraham, it's indicated that he believed. That was it. He believed. 
So you know what? He heard what God said, and he believed it, and that was his part. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God said, that's what I'm looking for. And that's what happens with a divine grant. It's, there's not a bunch he has to add. All he has to do, Abram's part, Abraham's part, is to believe that God does his part. That's how it works. Um, Jewish Christian missionaries who came into Galatia um, came in proclaiming that because they put their faith in Christ, they, they had belief in Jesus. But these missionaries would persuade people, okay, you know what, you believe Jesus is the Messiah, good for you, good for you. God loves you. He loves you. But he will love you even more if you obey the commandments that the Jewish people have been following for thousands of years. Certainly you don't believe that you're just going to waltz into God's presence and be accepted by him without having to pay a fee. Certainly you wouldn't imagine that, would you? That's what then, and the people would go, okay, I guess that makes sense. So what they did, they um, convinced them that God loved them, but would love them even more if, and in their case, it was um, Jewish rites and rituals. We still can fall into the same thing today. It's not Jewish rites and rituals. Not you don't have to kill this or slay this or different feasts, but the same thing exists. We we have a tendency to make the good news the not so good news. And that you say, what do you mean, Mike? I'll, I'll explain. The kind of logic that God loves you and will love you even more if doesn't really belong in a divine grant, does it? Because the divine grant was unilateral. So when a divine grant exists, there's nothing you can add to it. You didn't do anything to cause the king to extend it to you, so you can't do anything to get him to extend it farther. And a suzerain grant, and a suzerain vassal covenant, is that type of thinking part of that? Absolutely it is. Yeah, so if we do this, yeah, then we are going to be on. If we do that, we are not. Um, the kind of thinking that these Jewish Christian missionaries bring to Galatia um, exists under a Susan Vassal covenant, but it doesn't exist under... Do you remember the covenant that you indicated what God made with Abram? It was a divine grant. God said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a bunch of offspring. Um, the need to observe commandments in order to experience blessing is not a part of a divine grant. It's part of law. That's what it says. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 in your worship folder. Okay, I'm going to read this and tell me what kind of covenant this is. If this is suzerain vassal, or if this is a divine grant. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say amen. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you 
and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. What do we got here? Suzerain grant or a divine, suzerain vassal or divine grant? See, suzerain vassal. It's pretty clear commitments. The commitments that God makes, he will bring blessings. The commandments are kind of a shorthand version of the commandments are the Ten Commandments. The long version, there's other ones, I think, in fact, there's 713 of them if you take all the minutiae and if you, if you add them all up, but there's ten main ones and those are the Ten Commandments. You know what the Ten Commandments are? They are part of a Susan Vassal covenant. God says, this is what I'll do and this is what you do. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't, 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 don't. And if you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, you get... Whoop, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be clever, and I was not. If you do, you get blessed. If you don't, you get cursed. Um, so it's pretty clear this is a... A Susan Vessel with commitments, commandments, and consequences. And, and so, a, the part, what our part is in a divine grant is to believe. What's our part in a Susan Vessel? Believe and behave. You've got to do the do's and not do the don'ts. That's the way it works. Um, the question is, so, the one with Abraham was this. It was a divine grant. The one made to the children of Israel after that, 430 years after, was this one. I guess this is the question, did that one replace that one? And so that's what these individuals in Galatia are being led to believe. That the all these things, yeah, they made a covenant with Abraham, but that doesn't mean that you can disobey the commandments and expect to be blessed. You certainly wouldn't believe that. And they, okay, must be kind of a both end. God must be kind of extending a divine grant and kind of extending a Susan vessel. And what Paul ends up saying, mm, that's not the way it works. Um, the question is, did the second replace the first one? Can you see why this is an important question? Can you understand why this is important? How it would affect the way you look at God? I mean, is he looking at your behavior and determining if it's good enough? Does he like you but not love you because your behavior isn't up to snuff? It's an important thing, wouldn't you? That's what kind of covenant are we under? It makes a big difference. Um, if the Second, replace the first one. We obey commandments in order to receive blessings and avoid curses. Look what Paul says. This is, and in verse 17, as he goes on in Galatians, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. That's fairly clear, isn't it? Is he, is he messing around with words at all? 
is he, he, he's not, there's not a lot of question there, is it? What he says is the second covenant at Mount Sinai did not annul the first one. Didn't. Um, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And then he goes on, why then the law? Uh, law doesn't replace promise. God didn't switch from a divine grant to a suzerain vassal. Okay, now a question naturally arises. Um, why add the second one? And the, why add the second one? Why confuse it? Just stick with the Abraham deal. Why add a deal with Moses that causes us to wonder, okay, what one are we under? And causes them to be confused. Why then the law? Um, and then Paul writes, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Because of can be one of two things. Because of transgressions, because they had occurred, and the law was a means of controlling what had occurred. So one reason is the law is the result of transgressions and is a control measure. Or because of could mean love, law is not a control measure. It's actually a non-control measure. What, and the, what this, it's challenging what it's saying. What he says because of the word here, it's saying the law was given so that transgressions would be more out of control. Not so that people would do less wrong, but that they would do more. Um, law is the result. Law is the reason for transgressions. Um, Why the law? The law instigates sin. That's what it seems to be saying here. Um, the law instigates sin. Um, in his letter to the Galatians, um, Saul repeats almost verbatim. There was a there was a an, things were a little bit out of. Okay, here, ah, here we are. Okay, we're good. Transgressions are conscious disobediences of definite divine commands. So the law was given so that the transgressions might increase. And transgressions are different from sins. Sins can be general tendencies. A transgression is a different thing. What a transgression is, is when you draw a line. When there's a clear line and there are footprints that step over it. So that's what differentiates sin from transgression. Transgression is a conscious disobedience of a definite divine command. That's what transgression is. A conscious disobedience of a definite divine command. The law was given so that sin would turn into transgressions, so that it wouldn't be fuzzy. It wouldn't be, well, you know, sin is kind of there and kind of not because it's kind of all depends on how you see it. What law does is it says, no, it doesn't depend on how you see it. It's clear. It's black and white. Here's a line. What are the lines? The commandments. The commandments. And they're given so that uh, people would know that they stepped over. Of course, we have a way of 
kind of blurring that. You know, when Jesus is the one who put the edge back on the law, we said, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus said, excuse me, um, in order to obey the commands, you don't just have to control your behavior. You have to control your thoughts. So let's apply that. Coveting is a problem. It's commandment 10. What that means, that applies to everything that comes before. So it says don't murder. Right? Yeah, we're not good. We haven't murdered. But Jesus, Jesus said mm, what the command is restricting is anger because that's where murder begins. Hmm. Adultery. Oh, <laughs> to lust is to commit adultery. That's what... Um, that's what Jesus indicates. So that the law was put in place to instigate sin. Um, it seems that a suzerain vassal covenant condemns sin, and by condemning it, actually promotes it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you put punishment over somebody's head, Obey and you'll be blessed. Disobey and you'll be cursed. Who are you going to be thinking of? Yourself. How can I protect myself? How can I put myself in a place where I can be protected from this? You know what love means? You don't focus on yourself. You focus on somebody else. That's why it says in First John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Um, why the suzerain vassal covenant to instigate sin? Paul adds something that we uh, studied a couple years ago. The law was put into place through angels. And what it seems is that uh, angels were responsible for mediating the law, um, uh, which is a little bit different uh, when Stephen, actually he is being, uh, he became the first Christian martyr and he was talking about the history of Israel and he ends up, Stephen ends up saying that the law was put into effect through angels. He says that and it's recorded in Acts chapter 7. There was a Pharisee, a ranking Pharisee at the site at the time to whom the people would when they had the stones, they have to look to somebody to authorize this stoning, which the Romans condemned, but you know you can get away with some things. There was a ranking Pharisee there whose name was Saul. Guess who Saul became? Paul. He was there. He was the ranking Pharisee, and everybody puts their cloaks on him. And he hears this. Um, he hears Stephen talking about it, and then... After he becomes a Christian, he says almost verbatim what he heard Stephen saying. In fact, it's right here. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Why is he saying that? God gave the law to angels. Angels gave the law to Moses. Moses gave the law to people. God, angels, Moses, people. 
did God give the law directly to people? No. A copy of a copy of a copy. Law three times removed. You know the way it was with Xeroxes. It's not that way anymore, but you take a Xerox and you take a Xerox of a Xerox, and you take a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox, and then the third Xerox is not as clear as the first Xerox. With Jesus, what is the deal? You know what Jesus is? Jesus is God himself. God, people. No separation. And that's the distinction between law and promise. A copy of a copy versus God Covenant. Which covenant? The copy of a copy of a copy was suzerain vassal. The divine grant was Jesus. And that's why it says, um, Paul talks about an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. So what Moses does, he is standing before, so he has angels on one side and people on another and there's a bunch of parties. He's mediating two parties, like a broker. Jesus is a whole different thing. It says, an intermediate, but God is one. You know what God ends up doing? In the person of his son, there's no intermediaries. God came down. And when he talked about the covenant that was in place, he didn't talk about a suzerain vassal covenant. He talked about a divine grant. And that's a more authentic, and that's one we're to cling to. He was representing God. Why? The law, law instigates sin, and law incarcerates sinners. Uh, what it says in verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. God's word will never return void without accomplishing that for which it was sent. Would you agree? Never return void. What is the goal of the Old Testament scriptures? According to this, according to this passage, what it says um, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. What it indicates here, the scriptures in creating divine insecurity, the purpose is to incarcerate Israel and all who see themselves under the old covenant law is to bind in sin. Now, the sin might not look the same, it might not be sins of commission, but sins of omission. But the purpose of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and the suzerain vassal covenant that was in place, I'm talking about the Old Testament scriptures, is to make sin more of a problem. It's to instigate sin and incarcerate sinners. If you're hearing what I'm saying, and Paul is not, do you think Paul got a lot of heat for what he's saying here. Can you imagine that? Reading that? No one else ever said anything like this. It was shocking. It was shocking today, isn't it? Is it to you? Israel was held captive under the law. To be under the law 
is to be subject to the law's power, is to be under the control of sin. Um, you know what this means? A couple things, and then we're going to move towards applying. We can't, depending on how we relate to God, depending on what covenant we see ourselves under, We can't really control this. There's two words in Latin. Posse means possible and pecare meaning sin. This might seem a little confusing. I'll give it a whirl. There's four different ways that this might work. Posse means possible. Pecare means sin. Posse pecare, possible to sin. That's pretty clear. Would you agree? That's, that's a, and then you can, then they threw, you can throw a non in there. Non means no. Non posse pecari. Not possible to sin. Well, we know that's a lie. <laughs> posse non pecare. Possible not to sin? Possible not to sin? No. Non posse non pecare. Not possible not to sin. Under law, that's it. The law instigates sin. Non posse, non pecare. You know what that means? Under law, understanding, if somebody doesn't understand the new covenant, free will is a fantasy. Free will is a fantasy. I can do whatever I want. No, you can. Non posse, non pecare. Not possible not to sin. Oh, that's not true. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I don't murder, but you lust. Make me angry. You covet. We have a tendency. Free will is, I hear that everywhere, but at least we have free will. At some level, there's some free will. Do we have the ability under law to not sin? The answer is no. No, we don't. Um, there's an article. I'm not going to read it. It's but there's one there, and I like. It says in the the first part of it. If you want to just look in the first little clip, a person needs to be saved when they have come under the control of someone whose power exceeds their own. A person needs to be saved when they have come under the power under the control of someone whose power exceeds their own. They have lost the freedom to implement their own will and decisions. They can only gain their freedom by the intervention of a third party. That's what it means to be saved. Um, there's promise. So there's law and promise, and well, look what it says, Hebrews 8, this, we know this. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. What kind of covenant is this? Suzerain vassal or divine grant? And you see any commandments here? Any ifs? Commitments. Uh, what's our part? What is the part when a divine grant has been issued our responsibility is to what? Believe it. Believe it. 
Is this true? Yeah, it's slippery though, isn't it? All you have to do to get confused is to turn on Christian radio. Again, I'm not blowing up. You know what I mean? There's some good things on it, but there's a lot of confusion, isn't there? You know what we need in order to be who God wants us to be? A good yes and a good no. Off by a covenant. Eh. Um, Jesus commands us to believe. It says the law is a tutor. Seems This is the way it seems to be. The old covenant was a Susan Vassal covenant. It's commitments, commandments, and consequences. And it's curses and blessings. Then the new covenant is commitments. You know what ends up is interesting? What this is saying? This one wasn't first. There's an older covenant. It was made with Abraham, I will bless you. Commitments, no commandments. Where to to understand? The Suzerain Vassal Covenant was inserted for a period of time. It was bookended by divine grants. This is the way God operates. And what he asks you to do is to Believe it. Believe what? This. It's good ahead of you. God never falls through on a promise. Never. You know what communion is? Originally, it's a covenant meal. What used to happen when a king formed a covenant, he'd bring all the responsible parties together and they'd have a meal. And what they would do, they would talk about what the covenant is. And if it was a suzerain vassal, you'd be told what you had to do if it was a divine grant. And that didn't happen very often. Communion is a covenant meal. Why Jesus asks us to celebrate it is so that we would think about that. No stipulations, because what he wants us to do is to believe it. And if we believe this, it will make us Christians. This is what a Christian believes. It will make us Christ-like. And that's the meal we... So when you, when you take the bread... And the juice, I want you to think about this divine grant. In a unilateral display of grace, God's saying, you know, all this law, all these things are in the way. Here's what I'm going to do with them. They're out of the way. I will forgive your wickedness and remember your sins no more. And God asks us to think about it and believe it.
Good morning. We're going to have to say goodbye to this guy. Um, <laughs> we're in a place where um, a couple years ago, three years ago, Devin? Yeah. Three years ago, we were in a place where we needed to have some worship team leadership. We heard about this guy who was um, in Sioux Falls, University of Sioux Falls at the time, and the thing we heard about him was that he had a heart for worship, not so much an entertainer, not so much somebody who is pizzazzy, but he, he genuinely um, worshipped, created places to worship. And, you know, Devin, we've really appreciated that. He's going to be going on. De- Devin, tell us a little bit. He's getting stolen by another church. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Woo! No, actually, actually you know, it's it's good. Where you, what's going to be happening, Devin? Uh, so since Lexi and I got married, um, we were just kind of praying for opportunities and praying um, just for God's guidance, and um, we felt called to transition. Um, Lexi's kind of uh, more used to a traditional style service and everything, and uh, so we we're kind of praying about it. And uh, I said, "Well, you know, like that's that's great. I love hope." <laughs> And uh, we just kept praying and I said, you know, if we can find something in between, mm. that would work for the best of us. We're both feeling like we're being um, fed every week and uh, mm. just growing in our relationship with God, then we can do it. Um, and it was two days later, actually, that I got a call. So, um, and I said, okay, well, this is a lot of transitioning. I don't know. Um, and uh, it was, it was, we both were like, okay, this seems like a good fit and uh, something that we want to do together. So, um with that, I'll be I'll be transitioning. I'll still be in Sioux Falls, so I won't be long long far away or anything crazy like mm-hmm. that. But um, I'll be with uh, First Reformed Church on 57th and Tomar, mm-hmm. um, and then it's it's also a good fit too because I uh, start my internship with uh, Sanford uh, tomorrow. I want to go into hospital chaplaincy and everything too. So um, it's just crazy. At first first of the year, I thought I was going to be uh, moving mm-hmm. um, away for seminary mm-hmm. and. Uh, Still might, you know, you never know, really. But um, one thing that's cool is it seems it seems as as though God is really opening the door um, to this a lot earlier than we expected. Um, I got an offer to uh, do one unit of my clinical pastor education when you need four, mm. um, and then uh, Sanford is interested in hiring me on part time. So um, it's kind of some like, all right, well that that kind of answers that. Maybe we should stay put and kind of finish up my master's over a little bit of time. So it's neat. What, what ends up happening? I remember you, you said early on that um, that when you were doing worship, you'd like the chance to be able to do this as a more full time thing. Right. And then chaplaincy ended up becoming something that, not knowing that you were going to be able to fulfill that. So there's not a lot of places that you can walk in and be the full time worship leader. There's not a lot of opportunities. So you end up landing in a couple of places that you have a heart for. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, we. I, I'm, I'm really excited and kind of overwhelmed. Uh, Lexi and I mm-hmm. both just been praying a lot about it. And, uh, yeah, so. Devin's going to be around for three weeks. I think your last week is the first week in December. Is that uh, right, Devin? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Something close. Yeah, there so it is. You got me for a couple more weeks. So Sounds I've got to good. put up with my shenanigans. I'll pray for this guy. He's going to be around for a couple more weeks. God, thanks for Devin, and thank you for your purposes, and you will fulfill your purposes for he and Lexi, and thank you that your purposes involved allowing us to spend some time with him and learning about worshiping you from him. Continue to fulfill your purposes to him and through him. In Jesus' name, amen.